This is Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, I guess it is, the, uh, what is it, the 27th of May, 28th of May, holy smoke, time keeps passing and passing. Um, hey, first uh, getting right onto our uh, three-day Memorial Day weekend, as I was reminded today, because it sure would have been embarrassing to be working on Monday when everybody else is off, but that's not going to happen. So, starting off the weekend with the podcast. Hi, uh, I should introduce myself. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Michael Wade. And, well, I guess there isn't going to be a Senate committee looking at the armed uprising on January 6th. Well, the unarmed uprising. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I've been hearing this armed uprising thing. And by the way, it is so embedded now that it's it's impossible to get past. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's an armed uprising. Uh, no guns were confiscated. I think some fellow, they found he had a gun in a car, although it wasn't on him. Um, but, uh, you know, they said, hey, look, here is a cop being assaulted by somebody who picked up a fire extinguisher. Aha! Weapon! Armed insurrection! And some people had, you know, here's 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 another cop getting beat on by a guy with an American flag, and he's beating him with the flagpole, which, by the way, worst optics ever. Um, <laughs> uh, so, look, it was armed. Sure, they didn't have guns, but they had all sorts of, you know, um, I'm sure somebody had pocket knives. They were armed. You know, being sure. armed is a very broad category. Well, I mean, obviously. Technically, if you have arms, you are armed. That's um, true. If you have fists, you're yeah. armed. So, okay. It was an armed... Look, it was a protest. It turned into a riot. Just like we yep. saw thousand other times last year. And uh, Nobody's going to be investigating what happened in the aftermath of George Floyd in all these cities. But we are going to investigate what happened in Washington, D.C. Now, the Senate is not. But, of course, what that means is now that Nancy Pelosi will have uh, carte blanche to run a House committee... That will be even more partisan and uh, more vicious than whatever the Senate might have come up with. So, okay, you stopped it in the Senate. You stopped a bipartisan commission. Now we're just going to have House investigations that are going to get wall-to-wall coverage, and they're going to be far less fair you know what than— I to that? What? You know, let, let them waste their time uh, doing these partisan commissions and coming up with whatever. Now, there's already a Capitol Police— uh, investigation going on and a DOJ investigation going on um, that somehow Congress thinks it's better at this when they've proven otherwise like numerous times. Um, you know, look, I, I'd much rather that that Nanny Pelosi w- would waste her time with some sort of partisan commission investigation, blah, 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 that amounts to nothing other than uh, providing sound bites. You know what? At least then they aren't voting to, uh, you know, negate the Second Amendment or the First Amendment or the Fourth Amendment or the Fifth Amendment. Oh, don't or... worry. They're getting around to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? This just delays that, that action. So good. Waste your time on that. Uh, you know what? Fine. I, I'd rather you do that than than passing laws that are going to affect me uh, personally. Although I'm not sure that that you know a House committee tasked with this is going to hold up other business in the House. 
Uh, it will. I mean, it has to because they have to take time with it. And so that's going to draw away people from uh, regular voting. And it's it's going to slow down the voting timetable. It's going to uh, uh, exact resources. You know what? Great. Go for it. You know what? Do it. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that is going to happen. So I, yeah. I, I think it's inevitable now. And we're going to, you know... And the the whole idea that there was an armed insurrection to overthrow the government of the United States is um, what's well, ludicrous. Think about it. The, the Capitol is not like some magical place. <laughs> you know? I mean, the the, the Senate, uh, the, the the House of Representatives, they can meet anywhere. It doesn't matter where they meet. There's nothing special about the Capitol. It, it was built specifically for these meetings but they can meet anywhere the hell they want they can go over to the hilton uh uh you know that's just a few blocks away and they can meet there well i think you're underestimating the vital symbolism of the u.s capital so that's absolutely true yeah so <laughs> so we got that going on and we're, we're never going to get away from this that that donald trump tried to lead the overthrow of the united states government to uh recapture the oval office that he lost Fair and square. Or so we're told. Or so we're told. <laughs> yeah, see, you know, the, the, the trouble with the four years of the Trump administration is trying to figure out whether or not I, I know what I'm talking about or whether I'm a conspiracy theorist. That's the Yeah, well, that's true. You know, when, you, when you're not... I'm still not fully able to come to grips with the fact that I really don't know who to turn to to make sense out of what's going on. Well, because there aren't a lot of honest players in the game anymore. You know, it's just propaganda versus propaganda. Uh, so you're right to not be, or, or you're right to be wary uh, that, you know, Nobody has your interests in their heart, at least not those who command the microphones, who command the narratives. They, no, they don't care about you. No, you know, it's it's interesting. People, and uh, of all the people who I would have thought would have come up with this, a couple of, of serious liberals, um, Brett and Eric Weinstein, coming up with this idea of this, the, the, um, the unity party. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was listening to Bert Weinstein last week, and he was talking about, you know, the, the, the whole unity movement hasn't gone away. He said, look, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool liberal, and I disagree with conservatives on a lot of stuff. But the things we agree on are so vast. Uh, let's get back to that, because right now we have a, a government and really a collection of institutions who literally do not give a shit about the interests of the American people. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Well, and Brett, I, I don't know if his brother is, but I know Brett is part of the Heterodox uh, Academy, which is a mix of liberals, conservatives, you know, uh, left, right. I mean, th th there are a bunch of people who, um, as a matter of fact, I think the, the two of the people that started it were and, I can't, and I'm I'm blanking on their names right now, but uh, they did the studies about um, how liberal uh, 
you know, faculties vote and, and whatever. Um, and they're liberals. And they looked into specific cases of uh, especially Title IX stuff. Um, they did a bunch of studies. And I mean, this isn't a left right thing. This isn't a liberal conservative thing. Th- this is a people concerned about, hey, you know what? We probably have a lot more in common just by the fact that we're Americans and that we believe in America and that we, you know, we believe in fighting with each other uh, or debating each other um, about the right course and about the right uh, policies. But we don't need to make enemies of each other. We can actually have a healthy debate. Um, And that's become, I mean, it's become foreign to the national stage anyway. And it's, uh, you can see where it's going, right? I mean, people are being dehumanized on both the left and the right. Well, the thing is, it seems to me that all of our institutions, all of our, what, what, you know, what we broadly call the sense-making institutions, um, they have their own interests that they pursue, and I'm not entirely sure what those interests are, but they, they appear to be entirely at odds with what would be the best interest of the American people. And they prevent any discussion that goes against what they perceive to be in their interests. And they, they disguise it in that, well, we're doing this because it's best for you, because apparently you're just rubes and acids that can't figure shit out for yourself, so you need your betters to do so. And they put themselves in this position of, of some kind of uh, of intellectual royalty that gets to dictate to us what we're going to get and we should just be happy with it. And what they want, you know, you can take a look at the border. Uh, I mean, everybody from the Wall Street Journal to the, to the nation wants open borders. Okay, great. I get that. And in a perfect world, that would be a wonderful thing to have. But in a world where nations actually have sovereignty and laws uh, and security is a concern and we actually have a welfare state that we're apparently going to fund for as long as the sun burns hot in space, open borders don't work. They, they simply can't. I'd love to live in the libertarian world where, A, there is no social safety net other than those that people create voluntarily. And then if you come over here, well, you make it or break it. You either make it or go back to your, you know, go back to the old country. Um, oh, preach, brother. But that's not the world we live in. That's not the world the American people seem to want. Um, and when you look at the working class, they realize what immigration does to working class wages, what it has done in industries like construction, plumbing, uh, almost all of the trades. Um, it's almost impossible now to to make a good living in you know, as a carpenter or whatever, simply because there are too many people who have immigrated to this country and who are doing those carpentering jobs. And you always hear this, well, these are jobs Americans won't do. Well, they, they hey, no, they won't because they can't do them at that price and raise a family and buy a house and, and drive a car. Yeah, and feed a family. And, right. I mean, that's in sort of the, the great dichotomy, unfortunately, is that uh, those who are in charge of things, I mean, the political class, are more than happy to sacrifice uh, those that they uh, purport to speak for uh, in order to actually get what their true aims are, which is just more voters. And, and that's literally what they're doing. 
you know, by pouring more and more um, poor people, uh, unskilled people into the nation, they are raising a new class of voters. You know, what, what is it? Uh, Glenn Reynolds always says it's, you know, it's probably easier to just uh, buy a new class of voters than deal with the ones we have, something along those lines. Yeah. If, um, if, if the electorate, if you don't like the electorate you have, bring in another. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, that that's literally what's going on. And, you know, this is, if we're going to talk about a class of society, um, I, I think this is where we need to be real precise. There is a political class, a ruler class, and then there's the rest of us. And we're just pawns. You know, we're, we're just uh, people to be played in order to for them to keep their power. And so they manipulate laws and policies and rhetoric in order to keep people, uh, the, the, the masses, aligned against one, one another. This sounds sort of Marxist, right? <laughs> <It's> yeah. This... <laughs> you know, if, if I was, uh, and I had something else I wanted to, to talk about in terms of what you said, but this thought just hit me, and I have to get it out, which is if I was rebuilding our system, and uh, I, I probably would get rid of direct election of U.S. senators, um, mm-hmm. That'd be the one, you know, big change I would make in terms of the structure of how our government is selected. The other thing that I would do is I would make serving in Congress onerous. In other words, I would say, okay, look, here's the deal: you get to move to Washington D.C. We'll get you a dorm room, and you'll only have one roommate, another congressman. And uh, that's where you'll live. Um, your salary, uh, well, we'll feed you every day and we'll give you, you know, $30 a day as per diem. And we'll yes, give you right. a place to live. Oh, and by the way, uh, it will be illegal for you to invest in any stock, bond, or other marketable security for the term that you hold office. Uh, and so, therefore, basically... We're saying you'll be fed. Oh, and by the way, we'll pay whatever your you know your family's house payment. We'll pay that so that your family won't get kicked out of their house. We'll cover the bare minimums so that you are not worse off, but we will ensure that you are never better off. Oh, and by the way, um, no more than uh, six years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, what you're describing is what uh, Milton Friedman used to talk about this all the time, is that we need to... Uh, incentivize people to do the right thing if they're in power. And the, the only real way to do that is to, uh, you know, disincentivize uh, or de-incentivize. I don't know what the word would be, but uh, people from doing the wrong thing. And that means you've got to put penalties on it. You, you've got, like you said, you need to make it onerous. Um, this is not... Uh, you know, a, a step in, towards a golden ticket. It's a service, which is how it was approached for a good hundred years uh, before, well, hundred and uh, I guess like 20 years or so. Oh, and, and well, by, by the way, no sitting congressman or senator or, or vice president can run for president. Yeah, okay. 
So you're going to go I to mean, Washington D.C. So you're going to go to Washington D.C. and then there has to be a, a, at least a six-year interregnum before you can go back uh, in elected office. I I think a, a a grand turnover of the politicians in D.C. would be uh, cleansing to a great degree. Now, I mean, are they going to find ways around that? Of course they are. You know, they're going to create the political machines that, you know, that their same people always kind of get into the machine. But um, it, it would be a start. It would at least be a way to cleanse Washington of its arrogance. I, I actually, you know, what I would propose was uh, something that Trump proposed, um, at least in part. Uh, hey, l- let's move all these agencies actually to the places where they have the most influence you know so let's put uh uh the agriculture department in somewhere in des moines you know uh yeah i let's think that's the labor department yeah i think that's a great idea uh move all of that stuff out of washington dc exactly. oh you want to work for the department of the interior well enjoy montana exactly you well, know it changes well, a lot of minds <laughs> yeah you can you can Forget about, you know, what is it, Prince George's County and getting a nice house there. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're, you're going to Omaha. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't even mind, you know, at this point. I mean, the capital of the United States right now was supposed to be equidistant between basically all the 13 colonies, uh, you know, all the original 13 colonies, which it, it essentially is. Uh but you know we're a much bigger country now. Why not move the entire capital out to uh, somewhere in Kansas or Iowa or Nebraska? No, I, I think for national security reasons, all of the agencies should be moved to separate states. Uh, the only thing that should be in Washington D.C. is the president and Congress. All of the executive agencies and everything else, for national security purposes, should be distributed throughout the country. I love that idea. And uh, rural, and, and, sparsely populated areas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, think about all the money that's going to bring because that's what happens. I mean, I live in one of the four richest counties in, in the United States, and three of them are right here around me. Uh, I think the the only other one that isn't here is Marin County, maybe. Yeah, well, I, I'm not familiar with all of the counties out there. I've, I've only spent a couple of days out there. but um, Well, Loudoun, Fairfax, and Montgomery County are three of the richest counties in the nation. But it doesn't, doesn't surprise me because that's the richest area of the country now. That's exactly right. This is where all the largesse comes from, right? And, and look, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm just as guilty. My wife's just as guilty. I mean, we make money off of <laughs> government contractors. So, you know, I, it, it's a good place to be to make a lot of money, but it's, uh, it, it's a, a huge concentration of power that I don't think is warranted. And you see how these spoils work. And, and it's, I don't know, to me, it's, it's sort of disgusting for a republic. Though, I mean, to the extent we are still a republic. Yeah, to the extent... But yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of things that we should change about our institutions. And one of the things should be politics should be a burden. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And, and this is why you got to get rid of the, the idea that you can't hold another job. 
I mean, here in Virginia, one of the great things about Virginia, even though we've been taken over by uh, basically Northern Virginia and, and um, the Norfolk area, um, is that our governor only holds, can only serve one term. It doesn't mean you can't come back at another time and serve again. Doug Wilder's done that. Uh, one of the most successful governors we've had, actually, as a Democrat. Um, but it, we also, the, the assembly only meets for a few months a year. So the rest of the time, those people are off doing their jobs. Surprisingly, lots of them are lawyers. <laughs> I'm shocked, shocked to learn this. <laughs> well, it's, I keep hoping but that. But it shouldn't be, it should not be a career. It should be, uh, you know, a, a service, an obligation, a service. It's something that, like you said before, is onerous. That it's a pain in the ass, um, but you do it because, I mean, just like you serve on your, uh, community board or your HOA or whatever else. I mean, it's a lot of work. Although God, I don't want any of those HOA. I, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even sure that elections would be the way that I would go for choosing public office holders. I kind of like the idea of just a lottery up. Oh, it's you, <laughs> right? It's your turn. You're going to Washington. <laughs> You're going to be a Congressman for two years. That's your national service. Good luck. <laughs> well, it couldn't work worse than what we have now. <laughs> Although we would have to at least amend the Thirteenth Amendment slightly, <laughs> except for except for punishment for a crime or to serve in Congress. Well, Involuntary I mean, servitude is is illegal. Yeah. Well, but. I mean, you can get out of jury du duty. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can at the state level. The feds do not play around with jury duty. That is true. When you get now, that, have you been called? Yeah, yes. that's right. You did get yeah, called. I yeah, that. I, I did get oh called. God, I had to serve on a federal that? jury. <laughs> and I, I had no out because I, I worked for a defense contractor at the time. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll pay your jury service crap and so <laughs> i ended up having to drive down to the federal courthouse in san diego every day um which is fine but you know people were coming up saying well you know my job and the judge like, yeah not an excuse yeah oh, okay <laughs> so you know what i what i was really hoping for is that you know there would be some questions you know like you see on tv they do voir dire and and you know people asking the questions and I had all of these answers. Well, you know, uh, I figure if the cops arrest somebody, there's a 99% chance they're guilty anyway. <laughs> they weren't doing anything wrong. Why did the cops arrest them? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> I, figured I, I could get removed for cause and the questions were, hey, do you know this guy? No. Good. <laughs> yeah. All right, he's acceptable. He's <laughs> acceptable. That was that was my voir dire experience. I was like, this is not like TV. <laughs> yeah, well, Law and Order does warn you that it's not <laughs> <laughs> uh, So anyway, today Kamala Harris was at the United States Naval Academy. Oh, God. I heard, I didn't see what she said, but I heard that she bombed. 
Well, she told the midshipmen that they needed to be prepared for a new world in which they would be fighting climate change. Oh, Jesus Pandemics and um, energy sustainability. Because uh, that's what the military's for. <laughs> I was just thinking, uh, uh, quote, I really hope I get assigned to a Fauci-class antiviral <laughs> cruiser, said no midshipman ever. Uh, I guess it's better than swabbing decks. <laughs> Is it? Well, <laughs> a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> so, you know, the, the Bidenification of our military continues. Yeah, and, and I mean, who's licking their chops more at this? You know, uh, what was it that when uh, Tucker Carlson uh, played that, uh, which had already gone viral, that video comparing the, the like the Russian, um, you know, uh, video uh, trying to get people to join the military or whatever. Yeah, there's versus... a new there's a new version of that by the way that shows a Russian ad, an ad that the PLA is running in China, and then that ad of I was raised by two moms. I know, Jesus. And it's, look, fine. I look if you that's great. I, I am. I'm proud of you and I will support you if you want to join the military and that was your experience, but (laughs) who are we appealing to here? I mean, we need rough, tough and people who are willing to break things, kill people at the right times. That's how this should work. That does not appear to be the ideals of the leadership at the Pentagon currently. No. And, and that's scary. Uh, Space Force just uh, booted a captain who mm-hmm. publicly criticized the whole uh, critical race theory stuff that they're teaching in the military now. Yeah. Bye-bye. So oh, that's that, that's spelling a lot of good things for, for our military. And you know what? And now they're going to have problems recruiting. As a matter of fact, I, I suspect they already are. Um. I mean, that that's not why you go into the military, to be accepted. No, you go into the military because you want to be challenged. You, you want to uh, stand up for something bigger than yourself. You, you don't go in there to be like accepted as like your own individual little weird thing that you are. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm downgrading people who are weird. I mean, I'm weird. Uh I, I just, you know, and I also would not have made it very far in the military. Yeah, the military has a specific purpose and needs a specific type of a person with a specific type of focus. And yeah. uh, if you don't have that, what you end up with is a military that, well, hasn't won a war since 1945. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember after Vietnam, everybody would say, hey, we're 11 and 1. That's a good... That's a good record in any league. <laughs> well, you know, now, 40 years later, it's 12 and 6, or it's 12 and uh, 6, or 12 and 4. Well, it depends on how you count the win size, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, th- th- but this is the problem, is that ever since uh, the UN was created, and... 
oh, now we're all going to do everything diplomatically. This is the same thing as defund the police and let's send in social workers. I mean, this has not worked out well. This has not worked out well at all. Matter of fact, the social workers that the UN sends in end up raping and killing lots of people. Um, they're, they're really no better than just leave them alone. Yeah, I so I don't know where we're where we're headed with that, but this 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 idea that the military is not special, that it doesn't have a special place or a special purpose, that it's just and of course, this is what we've been hearing for years, but now it looks like it's actually coming true, is that really it's just all social engineering. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's what it's they've our, been angling for. It's our place to experiment with our social policies, and we can do it in the military because we can impose it upon them. Because after all, if they don't like what we tell them to do and they refuse to do it, we can simply send them to jail. That's right. So you have a yeah. captive audience. Well, I mean, and, and look, the schools are the same way. I mean, you don't like it, then we'll just kick you out. Matter of fact, uh, it's a big story this week um, with uh, a gym teacher out here in Loudoun County uh, yeah. who went to, you know, the local school school board meeting and said, hey, look, you know, I'm a teacher. Um, and, you know, I love all my students. I don't care if they're transgender or whatever they are. It doesn't matter to me. But I cannot lie to them and tell them that, you know, a boy is a girl because he thinks he is or a girl is a boy because she thinks he is, she is. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I, and it's against my religion. It's, it's against everything I think about actually being a teacher. I, I, I just can't do that. And and that's based on two bills. Well, not even two bills, um, two policies um, that are based off of uh, a law that says you have to treat all students and protect all students, blah, 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 which is super vague, makes no sense. And, and so, you know, he says this, then he gets told the next day oh yeah you're on uh, administrative leave uh, you, you're you're not and not by his principal but by the the county hr department yeah well look the they had a, a video that was released uh, yesterday or today about some teacher in oregon um a lovely white lady dressed in traditional african garb as you you know you do um <laughs> talking in this public zoom meeting about how if you don't get any racist and woke then you're fired right your career is over everybody and knows. all the all the heads nodding on the zoom call yeah because if you don't nod you've become a problem exactly sure i mean this is sure this is like 40 percent of our high school graduates 40 percent of our high school graduates are functionally illiterate but mm -hmm. uh They'll have a deep appreciation for other cultures. And after all, what else is school for? Well, and, and, and they'll have lots of grievances and they'll be primed to go and then get a grievance uh, education at, you know, the local college. So, yeah, bully for them. And then they'll be useless. <laughs> they'll be starting up the next, uh, uh, you know, autonomous zone in wherever yeah so anyway um biden released his budget today 
It's only six trillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> because money grows on trees. Yeah, apparently. Um, uh, but you know, hey, look, you at least have to make some nod towards paying for that six trillion dollars. And so, what he's decided is a forty-three point four percent top capital gains rate uh, is appropriate. Oh, that's going to do wonders for the capital markets in America. 43.4. Now, I am not an advisor, and this is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. But <laughs> Standard <if> you... <laughs> circular 230. <laughs> but if you yeah. have any, you may want to think about alternative assets. I mean, seriously, it makes no sense. I mean, it sounds good to... The, the the lefty constituents, but I mean, there's literally no math here. This is a really simple calculation. You raise the rate of earning money in the United States, then the money's going to go to where it doesn't have to pay as much. I mean, it, that that's just simple. Now, granted, there's a lot more money to earn here in the United States, and there will be a lot of investments that will stay because they're already kind of, it's already baked in the cake, right? But you're discouraging any new investment. You're discouraging any uh, innovation. It's not going to happen here. And, and somebody's going to compete with us. Ireland has been doing that for years. Uh, I mean, until they screwed themselves up. But, you know, uh, that's an EU thing. The thing is, America is a very rich country. It is. And it takes a long time for a really rich country to eat all of its seed corn. That's exactly right. That's a great analogy. But it's still getting eaten, and eventually it's going to be gone. And as far as I can tell, the Biden administration has gone all in on eating the seed corn. And that's great. What what I don't understand is towards what end? Even if it does give you the revenue that you think it's going to give you, it won't. Which by it won't. the way, spoiler, uh, it won't. But even if you, even if it did, at what cost is right. that revenue coming? Because what you're buying is revenue now in return for revenue in the future. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well, it's like uh, you know. The, the cost of gas, right? The cost of gas at your gas station is not the cost of what's already in the tank. It's the cost to replace what's in the tank. This is exactly what uh, they are attacking. The, they are basically saying, you know what? We're going to use up that tank now. We're going to tax the hell of it and, and, and take almost all of it. But now it's going to get a lot more expensive to fill that tank up again. And so, I mean, rational people are going to look to other places where they can get money. And who's vying for that money? You know what? The Chinese seem to be um, pretty rational when it comes to this. They're actually trying to lower uh, their investment costs to get money into the country. Um, And it's not just them. India is doing the same thing. Uh, you know, Russia's doing uh, some of it, a little bit, um, you know, depending on the industry and how much graft you can actually handle. Um, 
but, but I mean, certainly Europe is going to do this. It's it's just it's really just shooting yourself in the foot. Look, the Europeans largely already have corporate taxes in Europe are about half what they are in the United States. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why Biden is going uh, talking to all the G eight countries and saying, "Hey, you know what? You guys really need to raise corporate income taxes." Yeah. Oh yeah, really? Is that right, Joe? Now, to be fair. A lot. The European countries make most of the money off of corporate from the front end, where you know it's just it's really expensive to actually establish and maintain your corporation as an actual entity in Europe. They don't tax you as high, but they make a lot of money off of just allowing you to exist. That even is true. So, that is true. Even. You're right. So, but even so, the, there is a delta, and that delta does not favor us. We're, we're you know, enlarging that delta uh, to the point where why would anybody invest here? And by the way, that's why Joe Biden is saying, "Hey, you guys got to raise your taxes." Yeah, because he wants to raise them here, and he, mm-hmm. and well, I, I don't know what he knows, but he at least apparently employs someone who is smart enough to know that if we raise taxes that precipitously in the United States, then remember back in the '60s how the Beatles and the Rolling Stones all moved from England to the United States. Mm-hmm. This is a good way to get them to move back to the United Kingdom. Yeah, or, or to the Bahamas. Yeah, uh, the tax man. It, it, it's uh, I, I can't remember who did it and it was a long time ago, but somebody actually did a, bra- a breakdown of how, you know, it's uh, 10 for or 10 for me and 19 no. for you or, or yeah, one, one for me, one, and 19 for me for eight, one for me, 19 for you. Yeah, that's right. right. Because they were in the, in England at the time. Uh, right. Of course, that was at the height of British socialism. They were in the 95 percent tax bracket. Yep. And so, I mean, when the Beatles, who were ideally socialists, yeah. when the Beatles complain about taxes, you know, you may have you may have a problem with your tax code. When John Lennon is like, "Hey, you know what? This level of taxation is unreasonable." Yeah. Well, and you know, John Lennon towards the end of his life, he he was actually a Reagan fan. Um, he didn't let that be be known publicly until after he was dead. Well, I mean, he didn't let anything to be known. <laughs> he just didn't have to come out after he was dead. But, uh, yeah, I mean, even he started to realize, hmm, maybe that whole imagine thing wasn't such a great idea. Yeah. But, you know, 43.4% topped. So, so like, what's the incentive there? I mean, and see, here's, there's literally no incentive. Now, fortunately, that's the top rate. Of course, that's for millionaires, and I'd have to go down into it to see where the rates all actually break out. Um, but that's going to be his. That's going to be his top rate. So, if you have an income of more than one million, then you're at a forty-three point four percent capital gains rate. So, sure, it only strikes millionaires. So you wonder, well, why do we care? Um, well, uh, you're, technically, you're a millionaire if you own you know, more than a million in stock, right? Yeah. So, you know, even if you're just a, a working guy who's relatively, you know, middle class and you've been working for 30 or 40 years throwing stuff into a 401k, well, guess what? You can't cash any of that in. Yep. Because that tax rate will hit you. 
bigly. And so, you know, you might think, hey, I'm only making, you know, 75000 a year and I'm raising a family on that. And I'm, I got just enough to put aside in my 401k and I've been doing that since I was 25. And now I'm 60 and, uh, you know, a couple of years I want to draw that back out. Well, good luck with that. Because the more yep. you draw it out, the more that is going to disappear. And by the way, were you making uh, were you making that kind of return on your investment? I hope so. Well, it, it's even worse than that too, because it, let's say that um, you put some money in trust, right? And uh, you so you have a trust that yeah, you can use the money as you need, but it, it's basically a trust for your children, your grandchildren, whatever. Well, trusts are taxed at the highest rate if they earn money. So every dollar that they earn is taxed at the highest rate. So it's growing now at half the amount that you thought it was going to when you put it into trust. Right. So you're literally getting almost nothing for the bang for your buck. And you may end up having to deplete the trust, which you wanted to leave for your children, your grandchildren, you know, whoever, charities. Uh, But if it earns money, well, now if you have an an income earning asset in your trust, it could be a a summer home that you rent out. It could be a a rental home. Um, It could be gold bars. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's if it earns money, it earns value that raises what the taxable level of, uh, of assets are, uh, in that trust. And that's, you know, that's a really debilitating thing. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, it's not, it's only 43.8% because there's the, the 3.8% Medicare surcharge. So it's actually a doubling from 20% to 40%. Of the actual capital gains tax rate. The 3.8% Medicare surtax is still you know, going to be there. Um, the interesting thing about that, though, is when you look at that, that combined rate, which comes out to 43.8%, that is higher than the 39.6% personal income tax rate. Yep. So, so you're already spying what the, the dodges around that are going to be. Oh, no, no, no. This was personal income. I actually did work for the, the trust or the charity or the or Yeah, the exactly. You have, to, you have to because, I mean, that's going to be a 4% decrease right off the top. I mean, yep. yeah, at, at some point, 4% is real money. Oh, yeah. When you're talking about, you know. Off a million uh, bucks, it's $40,000. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Off, a, off a million dollar estate, it's forty grand. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So four percent doesn't sound like much if it's you know a thousand bucks, but when, when, oh, but don't worry, Dale. They're gonna they're gonna bring on extra people at the uh, at the IRS now, uh, so they're gonna be investigating all that stuff and and you know totally cracking down on it. Well, yeah, there is that because you know that's that's how the IRS works. Well, I mean, there was a there was a CNBC story about the uh, Biden administration sicking the IRS onto tax cheats. Uh, with some new uh, some new initiative, so if you're rich and they don't think you're you know, paying enough taxes, uh, welcome to the auditing proctoscope. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's totally random, too. Oh, of course it is. They're just picking names out of a hat. <laughs> but that's that's coming down the pike. You know, every Every bad policy that has been tried, by the way, it's not as if these are novel ideas and we should all give them a fair shake to see if they work out because, after all, maybe we're wrong. I mean, this is stuff that's been done in country after country. And, by the way, in this country, in, in the past century, we, we already know how this works. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's the problem is that we've gotten past the concept of, uh, you know, let's try out this idea. We can give and take. And let's figure out which policy works best. Uh, best uh, the the you know what was it Brandeis and the laboratories of democracy, you know that each state would do its own thing and the best ideas would rise to the top. Well, that sounds rational. It is rational, um, and it sounds reasonable. But that's not how people work. Unfortunately, I, I can't remember who said it. Um, and by the I, way, it's it, not how states work since they're not truly sovereign entities anymore. Well, you know, there's that as well. Um, but somebody said that, you know, we reached true rationality in like uh, the, the 19th century, 1800s. And we know we can actually solve lots of problems. I mean, this was the whole concept behind Nietzsche's uh, God is Dead, right? Uh, we have reached that capability of scientifically understanding things and working towards a rational world. We just this won't was, do it. Well, I, and, and this is the problem. that This person, I can't remember who it was, um, pointed out was, yeah, we have that, but we haven't, that didn't change human nature. <laughs> we still believe in conspiracy theories and, Things that support our own, uh, you know, level of comfortable uh, comfortability. And half of us believe, there, and half work. of us believe there is a free lunch. Exactly, and that, that, that's exactly right. Is you know, we can point out all these rational things, and we and we can, uh, you know, show all the evidence. We we have literally uh, over a hundred years of evidence that socialism, communism, whatever you want to call it, does not work. It, it is a death trap and yet it's still getting pushed because even though it is rational to understand that the, these are bad things, it, 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 it can escape human frailty and our human frailty is that, you know, we tend to live in what we're comfortable with. Or we, we, we tend to agree with things that are in our best interests. Well, no matter whether I they're mean, in the general interest of everyone, they happen to be in our personal best interest. You know, so sure. whenever Joe Biden says, hey, I'm going to forgive your college debt. Narrator, he's not forgiving your college debt. Right. Uh, so, OK, well, hey, let's vote for that guy. He's going to forgive my debt. After all, I went to Stanford and spent 200 grand on a college education that I can't afford to pay back. If he's going to forgive it, let's vote for that guy. Yep. Hey, I'm still waiting for my college debt to get for forgiven and my law school debt. And hell no, I'm like, I got a kid going to college. Hey, <laughs> amen. <laughs> if, if we're going to pass that, uh, can I put in for a refund? 
Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, crap, I've been to kind college, of unfair, right? I've been to college three <laughs> times, for goodness sakes. I got, I got a, of course, when I was going to college, it was a hell of a lot cheaper than it is now. I mean, I, I can't imagine if, if I was going to college and I started, well, the first time I went to college was in 1982. Um, and hell, I, I managed to work my way through college. That would be impossible today. Oh but, yeah, it is. With the, with the way that the, the, the uh, think about it, they don't pay the faculty, the actual teachers really all that much. And matter of fact, they use a lot of, uh, adjuncts and whatever who they pay almost nothing if yes. if they pay them at all being one who gets paid well uh uh i'll be honest a about pittance. it uh, <laughs> uh about 1200 a month right per class and it's uh, so that that's what they rely on but where all that money goes to is administrators who are diversity administrators and uh, you know, advisors to diversity and, uh, you know, intersectionality uh, administrators. I mean, the, the bloat of the actual administration is all in, it has nothing to do with teaching. It all has to do with indoctrination. Yeah, when your tenured professors aren't actually teaching, but their, you know, graduate students are. For all, I mean, literally a pittance. Yeah, for a pittance. Um, teaching really isn't your chief uh, chief endeavor. And by the yeah, way, you can... You're, you're can, paid to publish. You can look and see where the money goes in universities. Yeah. And it's it not does like it's, not go to the teachers. It's not like it's hidden. It's all there. Yeah. It's all out in the open. Um, but, of course... Whenever you have a guarantee of money from the federal government, yeah, who will never all, all ask, of a sudden prices prices rise. Yeah, who will never ask a word about hey, why is your tuition going up? Right. <laughs> well, then why shouldn't tuition go up? Uh, go up because now you know that it's going to be funded by the federal government. And by the way, if it costs two hundred thousand to get an education now, and the student can't afford to repay it, how is that any of your concern? Right. There's no, uh, you know, you can't sue. Say, hey, I didn't get the job that I was supposed to get. Yeah. And the fallback is, oh, well, we're here to educate you, not employ you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've got this going on now. I mean, look, <laughs> my kid got a hundred thousand dollar scholarship right off the bat and I got a few others uh, quite smaller, but. I mean, everything helps, but we're still going to be on the hook for like about 25 grand a year to uh, send them to school. And I mean, we're obviously, we're happy to do it, uh, but it, it's, it's just crazy that after all the scholarships and after all the, 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 the extra money that, that comes in from whatever uh, resources, we're still paying 25 grand a year. And that's how much they've jacked up their prices. And I don't think anybody pays the full boat. I'm not stupid. I've seen how sales work. Um, but, you know, it, it just, it, it's it's sort of disconcerting to, to know that, you, I mean, am I going to get full value out of this? Is my kid actually going to learn? Now, I did go through his, his curriculum or potential curriculum. 
And I didn't see intersectionality or gender studies in any of it. So that, that makes me happy. But at the same time, it's like, is it, is it really worth it? I mean, in the end, we're going to end up paying a hundred grand uh, and actually probably a little bit more because he, uh, he's, he's going to try to do a five-year MBA. Um, okay. But, you know, I got other kids too. I got to put them through college. Yeah. I mean, and that's still a big chunk of change, even with a, even with a scholarship. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't really remember what I paid per semester for tuition and books. And I remember bitching and moaning about it, but I was bitching and moaning about it paying it while, you know, working as a seri- uh, stereo salesman. Right. So oh, did you work as a stereo salesman? That's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I had the whole, uh, the whole, for some uh, reason I'm thinking of boogie nights. <laughs> no, I uh, think of uh, fast times at Ridgemont high. Uh, and the first guy that, uh, that, uh, uh, Judge Reinhold's sister dated. He he worked in a stereo <laughs> store and he was so cool. Uh, Which, by the way, is completely off the topic. Speaking of the stereo store where I worked, I were in the acid test days, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, 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 I was working at that stereo stereo store. Uh, you know, guys are really dumb. Girls really yeah. have to be obvious to let you know that they're interested in them. Because guys just don't pick up on shit. At least young right. guys don't. Um, you know, now that I'm older and no one is interested in flirting with me uh, and I know what all the signals are, it's useless to me. But um, I think back on my time there and there was this girl that worked there who was giving me all of the vibes. And why I never picked up on it, I don't know. Because looking back on it, it was so obvious. Right. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> wait is that what she meant yeah yeah 15 years later when you're 37 you go oh oh, oh shit i should have had a v8 <laughs> well that's one i'll never have oh yeah no guys are are incredibly stupid at picking up on girls signals and thing is that like look we're terrified of of picking it up wrong. And, yeah, that's and, true. And, and, and making the wrong. Then you, you know, really look like an idiot. Yeah, and, and that's the fear, right? So, and look, you know, girls, I feel for you. We are idiots. That's absolutely true. Uh, but in our defense, we, we're really trying to respect you and not uh, assume that what you're saying is. You know, yeah, and also what we what, what we want you to think that you're saying. Also, we know us, and so it's hard for us to believe that you're actually interested in us. Right. You have to make it she super really obvious. That. Yeah, you just have to go up and just say, "Hey, I want to date you." You're right. When? Okay. Damn. All right. I can't ignore that. <laughs> yeah. Now it's obvious. Hi, you're cute. I want to date you. That's the only signal we understand. By the way, I, I did want to talk to you about this. Uh, legal news. Um, the nation was stricken by tragedy as uh, Kim Kardashian failed the baby bar exam after her first year of law school. I Okay. 
Yeah, she's on a, a four-year program, and part of that program requires that you take a mini bar exam after your first year, and um, and she failed. I, I've never even heard of this program. This is a California thing? Yes. Yes. So, no. so um, the entire legal community, I'm sure, is going to be shattered by the loss <laughs> of uh, Kim Kardashian's ascension into its ranks. Well, her father was a lawyer, I guess, uh, a pretty successful one. Um, yes, yes, he I, was. I, I will, I will say that that the California bar is actually one of the hardest to pass. It's the only one that takes three days. Did you know that? Yes, I did. California has a, a, an excessive bar examination. Yeah, which I mean, fine. Um, it, it, it is a very tough bar exam. I don't know what the mini bar exam is, and I don't know what the fuck the hell you could pass after one year of law school, uh, unless it was really limited. Um, well, I, that, that, that's just, you don't know shit. Yeah. Well, apparently she knows less than that. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so what does that mean? She has to go back and take first year again. I don't understand what that means. She can't continue until she passes the exam. Oh, is that right? She so she can't even go to second year until she passes the mini bar exam. Jesus Christ! And by the way, it's a four-year program, not a three-year program. So, how much did she learn in that first year? So, anyway, four-year programs are typically night school programs. So she's got something else going on. Yeah, uh, well, uh, whatever it is, she's uh, she's hit this little bump in the road. Uh, and I said all that to, to say this because I saw somebody was tweeting who said, you know, I think Kim Kardashian would make an unbelievable lawyer. Yeah, unbelievable thought, is, I, I think, thought, the key word. I thought, you know, that's exactly my reaction. Unbelievable. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. You have hit the nail on the head, my friend. That's like saying an incredible lawyer. Uh, As in you literally head, not credible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but who knows? I mean, her father was actually apparently a pretty good damn lawyer. I'm not sure that legal skill is something that is passed genetically. Well, I, I have no idea. Nor does um, it appear my that father the, would say that it's not. <laughs> nor, nor, <laughs> nor does he, um, uh, her father, uh, appear to have been particularly proud of uh, getting OJ off. Well, that's true. And I wouldn't be either, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> Uh, what the, a fucking schmuck. The things we do for our friends. Well, you know. After all, who among us hasn't decapitated their wife once in a while? I mean, we've all thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough, right? It's like the, it's like the Bill, like Bill Burr thing. You, know, you don't do it, but to say that you, that you, that you would never, that there's no reason... <laughs> Oh, there's a reason. <laughs> you just don't do it. 
I love Bill Burr. Bill Burr has. <laughs> we'll like... talk about this later when you've calmed down. <laughs> uh... Uh, I love Bill Burr. He really is. Uh, he's the Boston asshole. He's he's the guy who can deconstruct a situation better than almost anybody else. <laughs> and has no fear of what repercussions come. No, none at all. Which makes, that is literally what makes a, a great comedian. I mean, think about like Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, uh, uh, even like Bill Cosby, who was, you know, the clean uh, uh, um, uh, well, on comedian. stage, sure. Right. On stage. Yeah. Okay. Let's make that dichotomy. <laughs> well, you know, here's, you, you talk about Richard Pryor. It's kind of funny. I was watching a discussion about Blazing Saddles and a discussion about, well, you know, is it okay to use these horrible racial epithets in a movie like Blazing Saddles, even though it has an anti-racism message? Doesn't it reinforce racism? And just this, this you know, this weird navel-gazing conversation. And somebody at one point said, well, you know, it was a Mel Brooks movie. I think if this movie had been written by a, a black man, it would have been very different. Um, um... I have really bad news for you. <laughs> Richard Pryor was the co-writer of that movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and probably the th parts that you thought were the worst, those are probably the ones that Richard Pryor wrote. Uh, and, and, and Mel Brooks was like, can we say that? Can we do that? Yeah, I'm willing to bet that that's what happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, put it in, put it in. <laughs> Which, by the way... Richard to me, always the best part of that movie will be Mel Brooks as the Indian chief speaking Yiddish. <laughs> oh, and, and Hebrew. Allah zim Has the gazain and dein Laban? Oh, my God. That is really is such a good... Actually, I have that uh, taped or recorded or whatever. <laughs> it's digitally saved. Just because I'm afraid it's going to go away. It's it, there. There is one of the weird things that's happened on YouTube in in, in the past, uh, I guess, year or two, is people are rediscovering all these old movies that they've never watched. Or old movies, crap, stuff that I grew up with is now <laughs> right. Yeah. I've never heard of this thing before, um, and so there's all these YouTubers now who are doing reaction videos to watching these movies. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of African-Americans who are watching <laughs> Blazing Saddles and not entirely prepared sometimes for what that movie is about. Mm -hmm. And yet it's great. Yeah, and they all end up liking it. Yeah. Once they once they see what the movie's actually about, they all end up liking it. But it's, it's this interesting phenomenon where people are just watching all of these old shows and, and old movies. Um for the very first time. And it's interesting sometimes just to you know, give them a click and to see what it looks like through a new person's eyes. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, look, I got kids. <laughs> like when I showed them space balls for the first time, like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Now they were already like big star Wars fans. And unfortunately more of the second generation of star Wars than the originals. But 
they even got it. They're like, oh my God, that's hilarious. Well, I am going to have to disagree with you there. There's only three Mel Brooks movies that stand up, and one of them is questionable. Which one? The two that stand up, and that will always be classics, and that will always be worth watching, are Young, Young Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein, and Blazing Saddles. And Blazing Saddles. Well, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I can't disagree with that, but... The questionable one, because it Silent is so movie. it is so obviously a movie of the sixties, is the producers. Yeah, the producers. Yeah, with Heil Hitler and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, the the all of that serves a point. Although, you know, we live in a society that has lost much of its ability to see the the, the new. Ones it was are. much closer to the reality back when it was done. Yeah, back when it was watching people. Back when it was being watched by an audience who largely was composed of people who shot Nazis. Right. Remember, this movie came out, you know, 25 years after the end of World War II. Yeah. Not even 25 years. So, And it was was actually poignant to those people. Yeah. Um, There are some things about it that don't hold up, like the Swedish secretary who does the go-go dancing. And so that (laughs) that just is completely incomprehensible (laughs) to a... Good talk, Purdue. Uh, That's completely incomprehensible to a modern audience. Um, so there are parts of it that just don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> but it's still fucking funny. But I mean, Spaceballs, Spaceballs is definitely one of the ones that holds up, I would say. I didn't like it when it originally came out. Oh, come on. Comb in the sand. Yeah, look, <laughs> every Mel Brooks movie has some good moments. It's the full two-hour experience that is problematic with a lot of his films. And I feel that with, with um, even though I liked it at the time, it just doesn't hold up if you go back and watch something like High Anxiety or Silent Movie. It's just not. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, and look, I remember going and seeing Silent Movie probably five or six times. <laughs> but I, I tried to watch it recently, and it's just like, eh, meh. It's just, you know. I, it, uh, but again, that's it's sort of, it's steeped in... 60s early 70s tropes uh yeah and that's why it doesn't it, hold up and that's, that's one it, of the reasons it almost why it's like a, a like a, a zucker brothers production <laughs> at this point yeah and that's one of the reasons why um uh even the producers which at its core is a very funny movie um, oh it's great and you know the performances by guys like dick sean and what have you are just completely um unrecapturable in the modern world. Um, but it still has a lot of sixties tropes and holdovers that, that just don't translate well today. Yeah. But I that mean, Busby and... Berkeley musical at the beginning. Is oh my God. It's still, still hilarious. And well, and well, talk about dated. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, uh, that's about as dated as you can possibly do. At least, especially in in the 60s. Well, yeah. I mean, that was a Busby Berkeley-style 1930s musical number. Right. Even in the 60s, nobody was doing. (laughs) And that was part of the... They had seen it. They they had seen it on TV. Yeah, but that was part of the inside joke. which The whole thing was supposed to be awful, starting with this this 30-year-old Busby Berkeley marching in, you know, swastikas that you can only see from above. (laughs) And... (laughs) That whole, that whole thing, I was just so over the top. 
that's why I like that movie so much. <laughs> I will agree with you though that Young Frankenstein transcends all time. I mean, Dracula stories, Frankenstein stories—you know—they are just golden for forever. And uh, Young Frankenstein is one of the most brilliant movies ever done. <laughs> I think it's absolutely amazing. And the fact that they did it in black and white just made it that much more authentic uh you know parody of oh, yeah. the old like uh, costello and and uh Abbott and costello movies and and the old um what's his face the guy that used to do uh um dracula bella lugosi yeah bella lugosi i mean it, it it's just it's so perfect uh also frau blucher <laughs> the uh you know the weird thing is uh, i wonder how much of it is the fact that it is the frankenstein story it, it's the gothic horror there's something weird about gothic horror it just never seems to go out of style you can always do something with gothic horror that that genre just seems to be universal i know that uh, fx for a couple of years had a show uh, called what we do in the shadows uh, which is a, which was a comedy. You know, it was one of those you know documentary style shows like The Office, uh, and it was about four vampires that lived in this old house in Staten Island. <laughs> and it was just, it was just, it was just hilarious. And maybe it's because we're all so familiar with all of the stories of gothic horror. So Dracula, uh, Bram Stoker, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, that kind of stuff is just so deeply now embedded into our culture that there's just like an instant understanding of it and everybody can relate to it because it's one of those wells, I guess, that we can just go to over and over and do all kinds of things from Anne Rice's very serious take with Interview with a Vampire to stuff like What We Do in the Shadows, which was just pure farce. Or how about Twilight? (laughs) Or the whole Twilight phenomenon. The, 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 the... the the movie series that made a star of Kristen Stewart, who is perhaps the the least charismatic actress ever produced in the Western world. She really is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was like I remember this. Uh, uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but it, it was uh, some sort of of. Um, text exchange between dad and, and son and son's like dad how do we get girls to like me he's like well go pour a bunch of glitter over yourself and go stand out in the sunshine and you'll glow he's like dad seriously he's like i don't know go talk to them <laughs> well you know <laughs> y- you say that but um there does appear to be this sort of growing um, group of largely celibate young people, which I suppose, the incels, yeah, yeah, um, and I'm not well, there are the incels, but just among young people in general, the uh, amount of sexual activity among people in their late teens and early 20s appears to be, uh, from what Almost I can non existent, yeah, from what I can see it at, at an, at an all time low, and um. I mean, we, I don't know how we've managed to do that. We certainly couldn't do it with religion. We couldn't do it with chaperones. Um, but by golly, we've managed to do it with technology. I guess. Uh, yeah. 
Well, I mean, Japan is ahead of the curve on that rather bad demographic uh, statistic. Um, like, there are, I, I think, something like like 25, 30% of, of uh, it might be higher now, of Japanese who identify as basically asexual. They're not interested in sex at all. And this is a, a culture that's dying. I mean, they literally are not reproducing enough to keep their society alive. That does not seem to have been what 4.5 billion years of human evolution was trending us for, was it? Just to cease reproducing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we got, do you, you all don't have the cicadas, do you? Uh, no, we do not. That is a, yeah. an East Coast phenomenon. Yeah, I'll have to send you some video. And By the uh, way, I was there for the last uh, big cicada unveiling. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was, I, yeah, was, I, was uh, I was going out regularly to Quantico at the time, and I was I was out there for a week whenever it whenever it happened. I got yeah, together, I did get together with John though. We did get to spend a couple of days hanging out. It's uh, it's annoying, and they're fucking everywhere. Um, but it, it's just it, and so my son and I were talking about it, my my middle son. Um, we were I you know. Bro, brought him home from school and I said, Hey, you want to see something gross? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so I brought him over to the base of one of our trees in our front yard. I was like, look, these aren't leaves. This is all cicada shells and dead cicadas. And he's looking at it. And he's like, Oh my God, that's so gross. <laughs> I was like, Oh, l- let me show you something even worse. And so we went to the backyard and we have all these like uh honeysuckle and like uh well, we call them snake berries. They're basically fake strawberries um, that that grow. You know, there's all vines and whatever. And there are literally thousands of these cicadas and cicada shells hanging off of all the, the you know, the weeds and the ivy and the trees and whatever else. And I'm showing Tony. He's like, oh, my God, there's so many of them. They are so ugly. I'm like, yeah. And so he was like, but, but I don't get it. Like, what purpose do they serve? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess something eats them. He's like, birds? I'm like, yeah, I guess maybe birds probably eat them. But I mean, well, I, once I, every 17 years, they can eat them. I, I, mean, wanna, I, 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 I do want to get back to the sex thing because I think there's some interesting cultural things there to unpack. But, um, from an evo- but since we're talking evolution, Let's talk cicadas for a minute. I think there is a, a, a reproductive strategy uh, whereby, and the 17-year cycle, by the way, is a good long cycle, and it is also an odd number. It is a prime number, in fact, which means it's not divisible by anything. So predators can't rely on it. And so their reproductive strategy is one of predator satiation. So if they come out at these unpredictable intervals and they come out in huge numbers, then they guarantee that a large enough population will survive to have a, a big brood for the the next breeding season, which will be, of course, 17 years from now. Uh, and they, because there are so many of them, um, well, the, the predators literally cannot eat them all or even That's right. anywhere near enough. So, yeah, it's overwhelming by numbers. Right, so it's it the the strategy is called predator satiation, and so that's that's how it works, and it's actually a, a pretty effective strategy, and you only have to and come out the, the every seventeen years. Of their life 
is to live underground for 17 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doing presumably useful things for the environment while they're underground. Uh, well, I mean, some would tell you that, but we don't know what they are. <laughs> we don't know precisely. Um, but yeah, that's the strategy. As far as our human reproductive strategy, I have to wonder if there is an intersection of a couple of things. You know, we, we live in a, in, in a world that is utterly unlike the environment in which we evolved. And we've built a world that is largely incompatible with our evolutionary history. And I think there is just a lot of confusion in our species about what we're supposed to do. And there's been two things that have happened that I'm very curious about. Number one, with the advent of the internet, the explosion of the easy availability of pornography. So you now have the ability via pornography to sublimate your sexual desires into whatever masturbatory fantasy, and you can find anyone that you want uh, uh, on, you know, Pornhub or X Hamster or, you know, X videos. Don't ask me how I know. And uh, <laughs> at the same time, you have this uh, fairly strong cultural movement towards um just uh hating masculinity and denigrating masculinity and making men largely feel as if their sexual desires are twisted and perverted which okay <laughs> guilty as charged but mm-hmm. um not in the uh in the uh aggressive and uh, violent way in which it is largely portrayed, at least in, you know, sort of woke culture. And so you have this, on the one hand, this uncertainty about whether your sexual desire is even legitimate. Um, So we've managed to make young people feel shame in a way that yelling scripture at them for the last thousand years didn't. And uh, they have an easy outlet now that was never available before, visual, on-screen pornography available at any time of the day or night, at your convenience, on any device. Don't ask me how I know. Well, I, and I, I can't say that you're wrong. I think that certainly has added to the demographic change. Um I think abortion is also added to that. And while I know, you know, you and I are in, are in disagreement about, uh, you know, at least the, the, the particulars of it. We're in legal, um, though, not moral disagreement. Right. Um, I, I, I think that that has something to do with it as well. Um, you know, really, I should think quite to, the opposite. No, because I think that, not having to deal with the consequences of your actions uh, lends yourself to, and so I, I know where you're going with this. Um, you would think that that would lead to more promiscuity. And I think it does um, amongst a, a certain cohort, but that cohort is now not as selective amongst uh how how should i put this the people who would be getting laid 
<laughs> otherwise, because there are no better choices, are not getting laid at all. And there are uh, a certain cohort of males, especially, who are going to, it's sort of like warlord culture, culture where, you know, you're the most desirable male and, you know, I don't care if you have side pieces, I'll be a side piece, blah, blah, blah. And I think more women are being attracted to that than finding an actual mate. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe, because, I mean, at least it does partially discuss the, the rise of sort of the, the only fans phenomenon where yeah, yeah. You, know, you can now be your own porn producer and have your own porn audience and get paid. And God bless them. And in know? some cases, quite a lot of money for doing, you know, things on camera. Right. And you know what? God bless them. You know what? They're not doing anything that's illegal. And sex work, uh, as we're always told, is work. Right. And, and, you know, if you're making money and people want to watch you do it, you know, and they'll pay you for it, I, I think that's a lot different than uh, being out there on the streets and trying to find tricks. I, I, I'd much rather somebody be on OnlyFans where they don't have to risk, uh, you know, coming into dangerous contact. Uh, I, I think that's a wonderful solution. It's certainly safer, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, good. Good for you. I mean, that doesn't mean I want my daughter doing it. It just means that, you know, as somebody who who thinks that you should be able to do whatever the hell you want, um, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. But what you end up with is what Japan is is seeing and what I believe we will probably start seeing in this country soon, which is just a lack of a replacement population, basically a geriatric population with fewer and fewer and fewer uh, actual workers in that society. That's, that's not the sign of a society with confidence in itself and its future. That's, uh, I agree with that. Um, I think it's going to be very selective though. Uh, uh, what's his name? James Toronto, the Toronto principle that uh, those who are, you know, complete um, advocates for pro-choice, which means that they are really into abortion, um, are going to basically weed themselves out of the system. And the ones who are going to be left are the ones who are going to pro-generate. Um, there's something to be said for that, but at the same time, uh, as you just mentioned, is that enough? I mean, we're, that doesn't mean that we're a replacement. Uh, and, and that's literally what we need to be at in order to maintain the culture. Well, not just maintain the culture, maintain the infrastructure and everything. I mean, we have an infrastructure for a fairly large population. And the smaller our population gets, I, well, I guess the less infrastructure we'll need. But uh, you know, I don't want yeah, to see half the country looking. I don't want to see half the country looking like Detroit either. Right? Yeah. Who, who's going to cut down the logs? Who's going to go mine the coal? Who's going to uh, uh, mine the oil? And that um, brings us back to immigration, doesn't it? 
Mm-hmm. And that that is the the argument. Well, we have to let anybody who wants to come here because, well, you know, we're our population is declining. Uh, although look, that is not a that that is not an argument being made in Japan. <laughs> That's true. Uh, although Japan is suffering because of that. Look, I don't. I I think the immigration laws here are too onerous and, um, frankly, kind of ridiculous. You know, I have lots of friends who are uh, naturalized immigrants, and the shit that they went through, the amount of money that they paid to do it uh i mean i think is ridiculous does that mean i want people pouring over the border no i i think that especially because we have a welfare state i would be look in a perfect world we have no welfare state fine come in work make your money great um i, I wouldn't have any problem with that but if we're gonna have a welfare state no, <laughs> you have to earn your stay. But earning your stay shouldn't be as difficult as it is now. I agree. Uh, absolutely. But we should have you know, some say on who comes into the country. Absolutely. And we may want to let if a lot of people. If, otherwise, the, we're not sovereign. We may want to let a lot of people come into the country. And that's a decision that we can make. And I'm, I'm happy with whatever that decision might be. Uh, we can make it a lot easier for people to come in, but we, we still have to have some level of control. This, this, what we're seeing at the border now is just not acceptable. No, it's a slow invasion, and for political purposes. I mean, this is undoubtable. It, it is indubitable. There is no reason other than they are trying to import new voters. That's literally all this is about. They don't give two shits about those people. They're not going to take care of them. They're not even taking care of them now. They, they, they literally want them to be new voters for their policies so they can shove through all the Marxist, socialist crap that they uh, have built up in the House and, and are trying to push through in the Senate. There's literally no other reason for them to want these people here. Well, you know, if, if you believe in the idea, and a lot of progressives do, that demography is destiny, um, bringing in a, a huge number of non-white voters automatically equates to progressive voters. Well, you're right, except that it hasn't worked out in their yeah, favor. That, has that, it? that may or may not be true, but that's certainly the prevailing philosophy. And so the idea is, well, look, if we bring in people from Mexico, which is largely a socialist country, um, with fairly that left, they're fleeing with fairly left wing politics, they'll just come here and they'll vote for you know the same sort of socialism they had there. Why they would want to do that, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And you know, many immigrants come here because they're trying to escape that. Exactly. Matter of fact, give me more immigrants from uh, West Africa, North Africa. Uh, from India, from Vietnam. I, I, I would love to have more immigrants from there because they know exactly what they're escaping. Um, from Pakistan. Uh, I, look, the, the, these are places where they know exactly what they are escaping and they are not going to put up with the same shit here. And, and it's funny because, well, especially with respect to um, 
actual Africans, people from Africa who immigrate to this country. And when they deal with African-Americans, they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is the greatest country on earth. You know, that and, is a weird dichotomy that you bring up. Not a lot of people talk about it, but there are certainly in your area of the world, there is a uh, around the, the D.C. area and Maryland and Virginia um, and in New York as well. There are a fairly large number of, of immigrants from Western Africa. Yeah. And and Eastern Africa, too, especially from like uh, Somalia and Ethiopia. Yeah, and they don't uh, they don't seem to be as, uh, <laughs> as prone to feeling victimization as others. No, you know what? They come here and they work their fucking asses off to uh, create opportunities for their family, and they are largely successful at doing that. And they're not looking for handouts. They're not looking for pity or charity, and when they see like black lives matter stuff, they're like, what? Like what's wrong with you? Look, of course my life matters. As a matter of fact, I'm making a good damn bit of money, a well lot of more money than I would have made back home. than you know what I'm doing here. Uh, Why are you pissing on my opportunities? And and they get, kind of upset about it a lot of them do yeah it's a it's a it's a very interesting dichotomy because you would think that if if black americans are so constantly discriminated against and again we always have to throw in the caveat that um racism does exist and discrimination still exists uh and by the way because human beings are awful it always will um there seems to be far less sensitivity to it among african or um caribbean immigrants yeah, especially Caribbeans. Yeah, uh, than there are among you know native. Unless your name's Kamala Harris. <laughs> yeah, well, again, she's not an immigrant. That's the thing. She was born here. Yeah, but her father was from Jamaica, I think. Correct. And her mother is from India. Correct. So you know, she has. So th- this was one of the. You remember. Um, Jesse Jackson talking about uh, he got caught on camera or you know hot mic or whatever talking about he was going to like rip Obama's balls off because he wasn't authentically African because you know he didn't grow up he he was never a a real African American he was never part Um, of the community right he grew up he basically basically said he grew up white yeah well, you grew up in fucking Hawaii. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, uh, how cool would I be if I grew up? I mean, I'm and I'm pretty damn cool already. But if I grew up in Hawaii, holy shit! Yeah, I, I think it doesn't really matter much much what race you are. If you grew up in Hawaii, you're kind of set apart from. <laughs> you kind of are a golden child. But either way. Um, you know, it, it is, it does make a difference. Uh, I, and I know uh, a lot of people from, uh, especially Ethiopia, I have a lot of Ethiopian friends uh, who don't understand the racial strife because that's not their experience. Their experience is I come here, I work hard, I get paid well, people treat me nice, and I don't get the whole 
I'm a press thing. Also, how bad would this country have to be for it to be disappointing to Somalians? Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, but, and, and, well, and how bad is this country that they are thriving to come here? And- if we're such the racist and horrible, oppressive uh, world that, that we're portrayed to be, why are all these minorities uh, trying to come here? Well, that's always the unanswerable question, isn't it? Or not unanswerable, largely unaskable. Um, right. You know, for America to be as steep, you know, as deeply steeped in you know, racism and discrimination as we are told it is. Um, and by the way, having lived in other countries, I can tell you that uh, if you think Americans are bad. Oh, oh God, yeah. Um, but uh, nevertheless, you know, all of these people from all these other countries of many different races, Indians, um, Asians, Africans, um, they all want to come over here. They all spend years, in some cases, trying to get to the United States legally, jumping through hoops that are, quite frankly, um, ridiculous, completely ridiculous and nonsensical uh, in terms of getting permission to come to the United States. Um and yet they're willing to go through, jump through hoop after hoop after hoop to get here. It's been so, thousands of dollars to do it. So there must be something here that causes all of these immigrants to want to come here. I, I can't imagine that they are all here because they're imbued with some missionary zeal to fundamentally change <laughs> the, the social structure of the United States. Well, yeah, at least I hope not. But I do know that that recent immigrants are and and, and, well let me qualify that people who come to this country um and you know don't really have any any experience with it find it inviting uh lucrative and accepting of their hard work um and i've heard this from numerous immigrants i think that's right that's the american dream and that's what I want. That Those are exactly the people I want coming to this country. I don't give two shits where they fucking come from. Uh, I don't care about the color of their skin. I don't care about their culture. I, I don't care. Uh, bring your culture with you. You know what? I might find it interesting. I, would, I might find your food interesting. I would, I would far rather have an entrepreneurial African than a British socialist. Absolutely. And that's really where I kind of come from. I, I really just don't give two shits about, uh, you know, where you came from. If you're here and you want to work hard and make something of yourself and improve your family life, amen, brother. That's the American dream. That's how it works. That's what makes this country so strong is that you're even able to do that. And by and large, immigrants find that the, the, the reason that they come over, you know, and then the reason they, they spend so much money and so much time being able to even come. So, you know, God bless them. You know, I think they make America great. But we don't make it easy for them to come over here. No, we do not. And I think that's a mistake. And, you know, by the way, that does nothing more than subsidize illegal immigration. 
Because exactly because the message we're giving out is we don't want you in this country. We're going to make it as hard as possible for you to come here. But if you can get here illegally, we're not going to do shit to you. We're going to let you stay. Yep. Well, it's it's like any so, time so what the do you restrict something. So what it's do like you expect happens? Drugs, right? Yeah, exactly. So what do you get? A huge amount of illegal immigration. Yep. Yeah, make it illegal, and then you're going to get illegal. Yeah, I can spend a, I can spend a decade and ten thousand dollars to get into the United States illegally, or I can spend a thousand bucks and be there, give it to a coyote and be there in a week. Yep, and be accepted, and never have to face any consequences. And by the way, if you are, and I again, I know that this has happened, um, and if 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 something awful happens because of this. Um, I'll be interested to see what the what the American people think about that. But, you know, if you have a immigration system that can, A, allow people to come in here relatively freely and relatively unburdened while at the same time being well assured that the people who are coming here are, you know, not criminals, um, and at the same time vigorously defend the actual border— against illegal immigration, then you can funnel millions of people, if, if, if you need them, uh, into legal immigration rather than illegal immigration. And what you don't have is a situation like we have now on the southern border where we literally have no idea who's coming in. And, you know, are they actually Hispanic? Uh, just because they have black hair and bronze skin, um, <laughs> maybe that, that language they're speaking isn't Spanish. Maybe it's uh, Arabic or uh, Uzbeki or Russian or whatever, and they're coming over here to do awful things. Well, we wouldn't know because we don't have any way of vetting them, and we certainly aren't taking any interest in stopping them from coming in. The government isn't even allowed to vet them that way. You know, once you once you step on this side of the border, at least the way it's running currently, is you're here. I yep. mean, we're going to give you a sheet of paper that says, hey, you got to show up. You're going to have to show up to a, a hearing. Uh, I don't know when that hearing is going to be. So I'm just going to put TBD here. Um, but uh, there's going to be a hearing someday. And, you know, you're going to have to show up. Go away now. Well, what's even worse is it like all these unaccompanied kids coming over the, the border. And what the fuck are we supposed to do with them? Ah, well, I mean, the... <laughs> nothing. We don't care about that anymore because Donald Trump isn't president. That, yeah, apparently. That um, that uh, reminds me of uh, a story that came out this week, uh, and I'm feverishly trying to find it um, because I, I did want to mention it in this context. Um, and it, w- it was the headline, Democrats once outraged, take a quieter approach to migrant children <laughs> I give you I the New York one way of putting it. I give you the New York Times <laughs> yeah that's lovely yes House Democrats led angry efforts to denounce the Trump administration's treatment of migrant children with the issue bedeviling President Biden they're voicing worries privately. Well, I'm impressed that the the New York Times even said anything, quite frankly, because th- th- this issue has been so uh, 
scuttled under the rug that, I mean, it's rare you see any reporting on it, quite frankly. Yeah, well, the the difference, uh, as as one person put it, is uh, the Trump the, the Trump information was being you know, was exercising purposeful cruelty, but uh, the Biden administration is making much more humane attempts. Oh yeah, that's he's nicer. No mean tweets. Yeah, so you know his heart's in the right place. So the actual facts on the ground and the fact that these kids, I, I saw a report that these kids are living in, in absolute squalor. Um, who cares? Our heart's in the right place. So even if the conditions are the same or worse than they were under the Trump administration, it doesn't matter because the conditions were bad under the Trump administration and he was impure of heart. He was mean, right, yeah. Now the conditions yeah, I, are bad, but, you know, hey, we're trying. Who, was it Hannah Arendt that uh, said that the key is to be able to question their motives always? And this has been the strategy uh, of the left for at least 40, 50 years to turn every intention into a question of motives. And this is how they operate. Well, Trump's motive was to be mean, but Biden's motive is to be nice. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of of interesting takes in the newspapers, um, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, Matt Ridley, um, who uh, is uh, a fairly well known uh, well known author and and science writer. Um, wrote in The Spectator in the UK this week an article that says in, it says, in March last year, it was widely agreed by everybody sensible, me included, that talk of the pandemic originating in a laboratory was pseudoscientific nonsense. Today, the mood has changed. The mood. Yeah, yeah the mood That's changed. the only thing that's changed <laughs> because the facts today are exactly the same as the facts were a year ago. We still have not identified a species that carries the coronavirus, uh, mm. SARS-CoV-19. COVID um, we have no natural host for it. What we, what we do have is a virus that is 96% genetically similar to a bat virus that was found 1,000 miles away from Wuhan a year earlier. And with no intermediate infection between that mine 1,000 miles away from Wuhan and an outbreak in Wuhan of a virus that is 96% genetically similar. And I, I know that 4% is a big 4%. Chimpanzees are 98% human. Um, well, we have the same 98% the same DNA. Um, but there are no intermediate infections. There's, hey, we found this in a cave a thousand miles away, and now something really super similar has appeared in Wuhan a thousand miles away overnight, which, oh, by the way, just happens to be where one of the class four containment viral. Two. Yeah, two, two of the class four <laughs> viral containment laboratories are contaminated. And it, but it's crazy to think that the, the lab had anything to do with this. Yeah, it's complete conspiracy theory. Right? We know today what we knew a year ago. And this, I, and this is one of the interesting things that I have been watching over the past week. Because once, um, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, not uh, Barkin, 
um, the guy that runs the South Carolina laboratory, uh, or is the chief investigator at the South Carolina laboratory. So basically, the only other laboratory in the world that does what Wuhan does. Um, and he came out and wrote that letter in Science last week, or, or last uh, at the a uh, couple of weeks ago, and said, "Yeah, we got to look into the lab leak hypothesis." The ex New York Times writer who was fired. Uh, now writing in Medium saying, yeah, we have to look into this lab leak hypothesis. And now, he's been saying that for a while, yeah. too. Now, all of a sudden, even Fauci comes out this week and says, well, you know, and, and there's a possibility that it came from that lab. <laughs> yeah, we can't discount it. <laughs> he was discounting it a year ago. But yeah, again, it was the a conspiracy facts, theory a year the, ago. The facts did not change over the past year. We have learned nothing new that we didn't know in May of 2020. That's and exactly so right. when he says the mood has changed, what he really means is that the mood among people who 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 usually have the ability to manufacture opinion has had to change because the science is inassailable. And the most likely explanation is, in fact, that this was a release from the lab, most likely accidental, because I don't think even the Chinese are batshit crazy enough to release a bioweapon in Wuhan. So I think this is I think this is very easily explained by incompetence. And based on the information that we've known for a year and what we know now, um, that seems to me to be the most likely. But I think it's very fascinating how all of these news people and people like Matt Ridley, who are part of the 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 uh, opinion manufacturing consensus. Uh, it, it, worldwide, he's obviously British. Um, I, I think it's telling that they're all going back. I think Vox did a subtle rewrite of their piece, poo-pooing. It wasn't subtle. The lab leak. There. Well, I, I say subtle. What I meant was a stealth edit. Uh, and yes. then they got caught red-handed <laughs> at it and then had to write an article saying, well, you know, here's why we edited the article. Um, not why we did it in secret and didn't tell anybody about it. <laughs> right. But again, we all know why. I mean, there's there's no question why. They're wrong. They're, they were wrong then. And now they know they were wrong. And now that scientists have decided, you know what, I'm not going to keep quiet anymore. We have to look into this to, if for no other reason than prevent it from happening again. Now they're being forced to go back and um, ministry of truth eyes the stuff that they wrote a year ago to make it seem rather less adamant than they were at the time when what they were really saying was the only people who believe this are a bunch of cranks. Which, by the way, wasn't even true at the time. No. Matter of fact, they turned Tom Cotton's... Uh, remember the editorial that like got a bunch of people fired from the New York Times, where he... Uh, well, that that was over... No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up things. Uh, but Tom Cotton had um, come out and said, hey, you know, maybe we should actually investigate this uh, idea. I mean, we've got four possibilities, uh, some which are really improbable uh, and a couple which are, are probably, you know, at least legitimate areas of inquiry. They went with the one that he said was improbable, that it was uh, a deliberate bio uh, warfare. Yeah, of course they did. Uh, and, they, and they did that for a reason, because they yes. wanted to make anyone who talked about lab leaks sound like a crank. Exactly. That there was an agenda. And again, this this is uh, 
well, again, um, again, over a long period of time. This is just another example of uh, the media playing favorites and dealing with narrative rather than the actual facts. Uh, The facts were there on the ground. We had them. We knew them. We knew them a year ago. And they stifled any sort of attempt to follow up on these facts. They weren't conclusive facts, but they were facts just the same. Well, here's one of the reasons why there are no conclusive facts about it is because when the investigators went to Wuhan to investigate the lab and their Chinese minder said, hey, we got hotel rooms for you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. And then they showed up the next morning and say, "Okay, we'd like to go to the lab and look at all your papers, please. And the Chinese Communist Party said, oh, yeah, sure. How about this? How about uh, before we do that? You guys go fuck yourselves. Yeah, pretty much. And they all got and on it planes. Wasn't like and they had like they, they uh, all got on planes and flew bugs home in those rooms or anything. Yeah, they all got on their planes and flew home. There's never been an investigation in Wuhan um, because the Chinese won't allow it. Well, no, no, wait, come on. The WHO did a, an investigation. Yeah, right? and that was funny because the head of the WHO came back this week and said, "Yeah, that investigation." Uh, was not as thorough as it should have been. Yeah, of course it wasn't because they didn't investigate anything because they weren't allowed to because the Chinese refused to give them access to the laboratory and its records and anything else that they wanted. And so what we have are the Chinese saying, hey, if you say it was a lab leak, you're a racist. And we say, you know, well, show us your documents. It's racist to even ask for our documents. Okay. Well, it's racist to even call it the Wuhan flu or the China flu or anything that that might implicate German measles uh, unavailable for comment. Right, right. I mean, it, it's it, it has become the it means it's to rigor at this point. And why not? That, it's effective. It, it works in the West. That's exactly right. Yeah. Because all it, you have to do is say, hey, you know what? You 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 sound kind of racist. Yeah. Everybody just goes into immediate backpedal mode. Yep. Well, not everybody. Uh, Donald Trump this week in an interview called it the China virus. And yeah, then he said, well, he or whatever, or the talent. coronavirus, whatever you call it. There's there's many names for it. Like, yeah, like, as, as, as shitty as uh, a person as he might be, um, he has been the most effective, uh, I would say, libertarian uh conservative at least uh politician uh, in since reagan and probably even better than reagan maybe mm, going not, back to calvin cole not sure how effective it is when you don't get yourself reelected. no uh and mm, yeah okay we can argue about that but <laughs> <laughs> the, the point is that the things that he put in place and the way he actually governed was uh, fully within the bounds of the law. Every time, you know, a Hawaii judge told him he couldn't do something, he stopped. So uh, the lawless thing to me just like, doesn't ring true. And he did everything he could to fulfill promises that he he made on, on the, 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 the dais, you know, on the hustings. And he came through for a lot of it. I mean, he couldn't get all of it through, um, but he did a pretty damn good job. And I think th- th- this is one of the things that bothers me about, um, you know, so like Paul Ryan and, and uh, what's her face, Cheney, 
um, out there, you know, you're just uh, worshiping a, a deity. No. People like him because he said what he was going to do. He did it to the extent he could. And he kept falling through. Is he an asshole? Yeah. Is he, um, you know, not well <laughs> versed and had to be diplomatic and, and a politician? Yeah, I, he's horrible. Um, but when you look at it, what he actually accomplished, it was pretty damn good. Yeah, by the way, uh, by the way, I don't know what we were talking about, but one of our commenters uh, in the chat said, and I don't know what they're referring to now, said that sounds like a headline from the Babylon Bee. And I don't care what it was that we said that sounds like a headline because I just had to share this one thing because we are two hours into this and we got to shut it down at some point. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I it said. was an acid test. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, but I did see a great headline in the Babylon Bee today that said Biden signs a $2 trillion bill to study uh, why inflation is rising. <laughs> uh, I love Frank. Uh, well, Michael, have a great week, buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right, man. Bye. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Observations Q&O podcast for Friday, the 28th of May, I am told. 2021. We appreciate the fact that you listen to the podcast. I have Michael and Bruce. This is Dale saying have a great week, everybody. Have a great uh, Memorial Day weekend, by the way. We'll talk to you next time. So long.